what in your humble opinion is the greatest movie of all time and why is it The Princess Bride? If you have not seen this movie, you're missing out on all kinds of intrigue and mystery. There's fire swamps, there's rodents of unusual size, there are pirates like Wesley, and of course, the love of his life, Buttercup. And this is a, a fun movie, and if you know about this movie, you know that Prince Humperdinck um, finds them in the woods and arrests Prince or, uh, Wesley and, and steals his love to marry her, and in the process of setting all this up, making sure that Wesley is no longer a threat, he sends him to the pit of despair, right? <laughs> there he is tortured within an inch of his life as he does research on pain and how it affects the human body. And afterwards, his friends gather his body, hoping for a miracle. And they take him to this man named Miracle Max to see if it's possible, beyond dreams, to bring this man back to life. And so... Miracle Max just happens to let them know that he's not dead, but mostly a dead. And mostly dead means slightly alive. And so he takes the billows and puts them in Wesley's mouth and pumps them full of air. And then he presses on his chest and asks this question. What's so important? What you got here that's worth living for? <laughs> and if you know the movie, you know that as he expires his breath, he says, true love. And no doubt true love gets us a long way in life. But let's just take that question and pose it for ourselves. What's so important? What you got here that's worth living for? For some people, it's fame. For other people, it's lots of money and the ability to retire early. For lots of people, it's finding that one true love and building the, the life of their dreams. Whatever it might be, there's always something that gets us going. But if we were to ask it in a slightly different way, we could say, what you got here that's worth living and dying for? No doubt many of us would, would die for our family. Many of us would die for our country. But if you were to ask the Apostle Paul what he's got that's worth living and dying for, he would not hesitate to say, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter of the Philippians, having spent now four years in prison for preaching about Christ. Two years in Caesarea, where he made his appeal to Caesar, and now two years in Rome. And he's waiting to make his appeal. But he understands, like he says in the passage we looked at last week, that he is put here, that is, in prison, for the defense of the gospel. And we saw last week that he's awaiting his appeal before that notorious psychopath, by the name of Nero. And as we also saw last week, Nero was the one that many people thought actually started the fire that burned Rome in AD 70, or 64, rather. This was about a year or so before Paul, or after, rather, I should say. The burning of Rome was a year or so after Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And so he's, he's waiting his trial before Nero. And he's writing these words to his friends who are concerned about him. And in doing so, he tells them that he is rejoicing because the gospel is going out. And then we pick up in verse 18 these words, Yes, and I will rejoice. Joy and rejoicing for Paul is not based on circumstances. It's not based on getting everything out of life that he wants. Rather, as we'll see, it is based on a person. And he tells them, Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
I have those words, this will turn out for my deliverance, highlighted for us on the screen because he's actually quoting verbatim something that is written in one of the oldest books of Scripture, that is the book of Job. He's quoting verbatim his Greek translation of it. And if you know the story of Job, you know that this man is suffering for what he thinks is no apparent reason. And his friends come to him and say, the only reason why you could be suffering is because you did something wrong. I mean, the righteous don't suffer, Job. And if you're suffering, that means you've done something wrong. And Job consisted that he's done nothing to deserve everything that has happened in his life. And we think that maybe the Apostle Paul was perhaps meditating on the story of Job because he quotes an exact phrase that he finds in Job. Job said this, Though he, that is God, slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. That is, I will make my case before the Almighty. This also will be my salvation. For a godless man may not come before his presence. Listen carefully to my speech and let my declaration fill your ears. Behold now, I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. In contrast to what his friends are telling him, that he has done something wrong, he insists that he has not. He says, look, even if God slays me, I know that I will stand in his presence. This also will be my salvation. And those words, Paul quotes verbatim in this letter when he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, it's interesting, in the Greek that he's using here, the word for deliverance in my translation is the word that he uses almost every other place for salvation. Yes, it can mean deliverance, like deliverance from a, an illness or something like that. But over and over again in the Apostle Paul's mind, that word means salvation. So we just have to ask ourselves the question, is he thinking this is going to turn out for his deliverance, that is, his vindication before Nero, or is this going to turn out for his vindication before God? I think it's actually perhaps the latter, although Paul might have a double meaning in place here. And the reason I say that is because he goes on and says this in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation, I'm sorry, hope and expectation that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. The reason why Paul is rejoicing is because he has an eager expectation that when he stands before the most powerful person on the planet, he will either give the thumbs up to him or the thumbs down, that he will bring honor to Jesus Christ whether he is set free and continues to live or whether he is executed and has to pay for his faith with his life. <laughs> About five years before this, Paul wrote to the Romans when he was free. He was going around the countryside of the Roman Empire preaching about the gospel and starting new churches and he wanted to make his way eventually to Rome and he said to, the, to them these words, I am eager to preach to you also I'm sorry, to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul was wanting to go to Rome to preach the gospel because he believes that whoever believes that gospel will experience the power of God for their salvation. God answered his desires and his prayers in ways that he didn't think, but now he's in Rome. And the question is, will he be ashamed? when he stands before the most powerful person on the planet and asks, will he recant his faith? Paul's hope is that Christ will be honored in his body. That word honored simply means to magnify or to exalt or to think greatly of. When Paul stands before Nero, 
who has the power of life and death over him, Paul's desire is that Jesus Christ will be honored in him, will be thought great of, will be magnified in his body. For Paul, the body is the place that we live. It's the life that we've been given. He will write later to the, first, to the Corinthians these words in 1 Corinthians. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And also to the Romans, he writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. You see, for, God, for Paul, as he stands before Nero, he knows that he might have to lay down his life. But if that's the case, he says, that's okay. God has already bought me in Christ Jesus. My body belongs to him. If I die, it will be an offering made in his name. And so let's just pause and ask ourselves this question. Can we say that we want Christ to be honored in our body, whether by life or by death? This was the driving heartbeat of Paul, to see that Christ was honored. And if he lives, he wants to honor Christ by his life. If he dies, he wants to honor Christ by his death. And so the question presents itself to us as we look at this. Can we say the same thing? The reason Paul can say this is because of what he says next. Perhaps some of the most famous words ever spoken by a Christian. One that I know many of you have, have known by heartbeat. I've known people who've had this tattooed on their bodies. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How short and how powerful, but how succinct and how clear. This is the mission of his life. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again, my friends, this stops us in our tracks and forces us to answer the question. How would we fill out that phrase that Paul says? To live is what? Honestly, if you were to ask yourself, what is it you're living for? What would you say? For some, it's making grades and getting that killer job. For others, it's, it's just for an escape, to, to be able to get away and just not have to deal with the pressure of life anymore. For others, it's reputation to be thought greatly of. For others, it's, it's attaining the perfect body image. What is it that you are living for? Paul, Paul is going to tell us later in, in chapter 3, and I can't wait to get to this passage. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, whatever I've gained in this life, the titles I've accumulated, the awards and recognition I've gotten, I count them as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You see, for Paul, there's nothing greater in life that can be compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say knowing about Jesus. Some interesting facts or maybe some teaching. But knowing Jesus Christ, this man from Nazareth who was crucified and rose again from the dead. I mentioned last week that I would love for us to sing All I Have is Christ every week, but probably couldn't get away with that. But in that song, there's this refrain that says, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. 
And I think if the Apostle Paul was here with us, he would love to sing that song as well. This captures perfectly what Paul is saying. Some of you know that I'm a big fan of of U2, and there's this song that they sing called Magnificent. And you can watch this online when U2 toured in Los Angeles, and this is when they had that big rocket ship stage, and they sang this song called Magnificent. And listen to these words. He sings, I was born to sing for you. I didn't have a choice but to lift you up and sing whatever song you wanted me to. I give you back my voice from the womb, my first cry. It was a joyful noise as he echoes Psalm 100. And then later at the end of the song, he says, Justified till we die, you and I will magnify. Oh, oh, the magnificent. Some of you know that Bono is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's simply saying in these, in these words what Paul is saying here. For me to live is Christ. I give you back the very voice that you've given to me. I sing for you because you are the magnificent one. Hip-hop artist Lecrae is even more explicit in his song, Don't Waste Your Life. He raps these words, to live is Christ, and that's Paul, I recall. To die is gain, so for Christ we give it all. See your money, your singleness, marriage, talents, your time. They were loaned to you to show the world that Christ is divine. That's why it's Christ in my rhymes. That's why it's Christ all the time. See, my whole world is built around him. He's the life in my lines. And then he ends by saying, because I'm constantly trying to be used to praise the Christ. If he's truly raised to life, then this news should change your life. And I think Paul would say, amen. Lecrae, to live is Christ. Bono, to live is Christ. Mercy Hill Church, to live is Christ. It doesn't get any better or sweeter than that. You see, my friends, the secret to finding joy right where you are is to live for Christ right where you are. Paul would make the case that whatever you give your life to in terms of pursuit of career or whatever, this should be done to the glory of Christ. Everything, every breath you take, everything you do should be done for the glory of Christ. But that's not all he says in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. Those are powerful words. But he also says, and to die is gain. Again, how would you finish off that phrase? If you're honest with yourself, to die is what? To lose, perhaps. To have had your one chance to live. To die is the end of it all. Or to die, perhaps, is, is just a big question mark for you. It's interesting, in the original, if you were to read this in Greek, Paul just simply says, to live, Christ. To die, gain. And he's actually, he wasn't a hip-hop artist, but this actually rhymes in the original language. For me, to live is Christos. To die, kerdos. That word die, I'm sorry, that word gain uh, simply means profit or advantage. If I were to translate it, I'd probably say this. For me to live is Christ, to die, jackpot. <laughs> I win it all. To live, Christos, to die, kyrdos. 
He would write to the Romans these words, I am sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see how that started? I am sure that neither death nor life. You see, for Paul, when he dies, that's not the end. In many ways, that's the beginning of life. Heidelberg Catechism, in answer to the question, what is your only comfort in life and death, puts it this way, that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That was written some 1,500 years after the Apostle Paul lived, but I think Paul would say exactly. (laughs) Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to Jesus Christ. The message is a paraphrase of the Bible written by Eugene Peterson, and the way he summarizes this is life versus even more life. I cannot lose. If I get to live, I get to talk about Jesus. I get to live for him. I win. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus. Life versus more life. I cannot lose. And then Paul kind of kind of gets inside his head here, and he, he runs this little experiment about if he could choose what's going to happen to him, what would he choose? And he says, if I am to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. He's saying, if, if I continue living in my body, that means I continue to get to do what I love to do, which is talk about Jesus, to start new churches for Jesus, to see people come to faith in Jesus. But I don't know what I would choose if it laid in my power to choose. He says, I am hard-pressed between the two. It's as if these two options are closing in. And he looks at one, he says yes. He looks at the other and says yes. He's literally torn between these two. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better On the one hand, as I look at what might happen when I stand before Nero, he might give me the thumbs down, and I might be executed. I might get nailed to a cross. And if that happens, I get to be with Jesus. That's not simply better. That's far better. It doesn't even compare to anything else. That word depart is is simply a nautical term that speaks of a, a ship that is loosening in its, moor, uh, its moorings, like that rope that is tied to the deck to keep it from drifting off. That's pulled off, and then the ship is, is free to sail. And Paul is saying, if I'm executed, then I'm set free to sail into the presence of Christ. Someone says this, doesn't the Bible talk about people who have died as, as falling asleep? And if you're thinking that question, the answer is yes. For example, Paul will write to the Thessalonians these words. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Christians following the lead of Jesus and really following the lead of saints in the Old Testament talked about death as sleep. But what has come into crystal clarity now with the resurrection of Jesus is that life does not end at death. And so, yes, while we look at someone who has passed away as if they are sleeping, that's what happens to them physically. Their body is there. But Paul says, my spirit will go and it will be with Christ. 
he will write to the Corinthians these words. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He wrote these words before he was in prison, and already he was panting for that day when he can go and be in the presence of Christ. We sang these words a while ago, and I just want to slow us down and think about them. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets. To look upon the one who died to save me and walk with him through all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with Christ who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. This is what Paul is longing for. So there's that great day that's coming when Jesus will come back and set this world to right. And death will literally be no more. But there's a way that we can sing this song, that when we leave this life ahead of the return of Jesus Christ, for us, death will be no more. We'll be standing face to face with Christ who rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. Some of you know who my daughter Miranda is, and if you know her, she's a kid at heart, and she just loves more than anything to give people hugs. It's like her ministry. And oftentimes, almost every week, we have the conversation about what will happen when we see Jesus. And Miranda over and over tells me what? Miranda? Oh, she's going to be shy. She didn't know I was going to do that. She tells me week in and week out, I can't wait to see Jesus, because when I see him, I want to give him a big hug. And it just melts my heart because I know how much hugs mean to her and how she loves to do that. And she can't wait to see Jesus, to stand face to face before him and to give him a hug. And as we talked together about this, I said, Miranda, I, I want to give Jesus a big hug too, but I really think that for, for the first, I don't know, maybe 100,000 years, I'm going to be falling at his feet, weeping to the praise and the mercy I found. And then when my constitution... <laughs> gets used to glory, can I even put it that way? Then I'll give Jesus a big hug. I can't wait to see him. I found this picture one time about a lady being able to, to fall into the arms of Jesus and give him a hug. And you can see from this picture, she's just filled with joy. And I showed this to Miranda, and she just loved it so much. And she asked, can you print this out for me? And we printed it out and put it on a frame, and she has it right there on her bathroom vanity, so she sees it every day. My friends, do you long to see Jesus face to face? When Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I'd rather depart and be with Christ because that is far better. That's what Paul is saying. I can't wait to give Jesus a hug. So Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's wrestling between these two options. He says, what I want to do is to go and be with Jesus. But what I need to do is to stay here and continue my ministry among you. He says, I am torn between what I want to do and what's most necessary to do. To live means to, to live for Christ, and to die means to be with Christ. I'm torn between those, what I want to do and what I need to do. And he says in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain for you all, for your joy, I'm sorry, sorry, for your progress and your joy in the faith. He says, when I think about this, 
I think about what's necessary, I'm going to put myself in the back seat. And if I were writing out the plan, this is what I'd do. I would have me stay here so that I can minister to you and to work for you for your progress and your joy in the faith. Not some random nebulous faith, but faith in Jesus Christ. And so let me pause and just ask this this question. That was Paul's desire to be able to do for people. Let me ask you this question. Are you advancing in the faith? Is your joy in Jesus increasing? I'm not asking you, are you where you want to be in following Jesus? None of us are. In fact, Paul would be the first to say even he wasn't. But are you striving? Are you making progress? Are you advancing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your joy increasing? Your joy in Jesus increasing? In a little bit, we're going to put words to this and sing Revelation song. Here the, the artist writes, With all creation I sing, praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. My friends, one of the reasons we sing this song regularly is because these words express so much a joy in Christ and a faith that is advancing and growing and wanting to grow and wanting to enlarge and to be filled with Christ. And so he's convinced that he's going to stay with them so that in me, he says, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. (laughs) He's like, I can just envision when I'm set free and I can come be with you, how you're going to glory in Jesus Christ. What a reunion that's going to be. You've been my partners in the faith. You're hanging by me while I'm in prison for the faith. You're actually suffering for the faith. But man, it's going to be great when we get back together. (laughs) You're going to have great cause to glory in Christ. And so the question becomes, did that happen? Did Paul get to go visit the Philippians? And the answer is we simply don't know for sure. We're told these words at the end of the book of Acts, which is an account of the early explosion of the church. We're told that he lived there for two whole years at his own expenses, that is in Rome, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's where Luke leaves us, with Paul in that jail cell, continuing to talk about the kingdom of God, continuing to talk about Jesus Christ to anyone who would come, anyone who would listen. And then the account from history goes silent on Paul. Some people think, because Paul was so convinced that he was going to be released, that he actually was released and was able to go see the Philippians and rejoice with them for a short time, but then he was arrested again. Others believe he never made it out of prison. I kind of fall in that that latter camp. I think that that he got caught up in all the events that happened around the the burning of Rome and the, the execution of Christians that went full steam at that point. Uh, History tells us that, or not history, I'm sorry, tradition tells us, we don't have a source for it, but church tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded in Rome. He wasn't crucified because he was a Roman citizen, but Rome usually didn't crucify Roman citizens unless they thought that they were stirring revolution. Uh, Some people think as well that, that Peter was actually imprisoned along with Paul during this time, and he and Paul both were executed by Nero. We simply don't know. But we do know that Paul was facing that imminent um, threat to his life. So, if we can summarize our study, it would go like this. For the Christian, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is our heartbeat. To live, Christos. To die, Kyrdos. To live is Christ. To die is gain. So let me just give us a few points of application as we 
wrap this up today. My friends, the first point of application is this. Let's celebrate the fact that there is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there wasn't a gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul wouldn't be in prison. But there is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we get to see people living and dying throughout history for the gospel of Jesus. But just think about this. Where would you be if there is no good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose again to welcome you into eternal life? Where would you be? What hope would you have? How would you handle this life? The British writer Rebecca McLaughlin says this, If Christianity is true, we can look up and wonder why a God who made the galaxies also cares for you and me. But if there is no God, we can also look up and wonder why our lives have any point at all. And someone says, well, Mrs. McLaughlin, you can say that because you're a believer in Jesus. You're, of course you're biased. But let's not take it from Mrs. McLaughlin. Let's take it from Woody Allen. Woody Allen, as many of you know, is an atheist. and He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe that life goes on. And so he has to deal with living apart from hope. And he said this one time. He said, the universe is indifferent. In other words, it doesn't care about you. The universe is indifferent. So we create a fake world for ourselves, and we exist in that fake world, a world that in fact means nothing at all when you step back. It's meaningless. But it's important that we create some sense of meaning because no perceptible meaning exists for anybody. I appreciate the honesty of Mr. Allen in these words. In his view of the world, there is no meaning. There cannot be any meaning. So the best thing you can do in light of that is to fool yourselves. Just make up a fake world, make up fake meaning, and get through this life. But then what happens? If you know anything about some of the things Woody Allen has said, you know that he is petrified of dying. He is what we call, and I you know, struggle with this myself, a germaphobe. Because <laughs> he's worried that he might catch something that will end his life, his meaningless life. And he can't bear the thought that there is no hope at all. <laughs> and I think the Apostle Paul would say, Mr. Allen, thank you for being so honest, but, but there is good news. Life is not meaningless. Your life is not meaningless. There is one named Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life before God, and he died in the place of people like you and me. And not only that, he rose again from the dead, and how he reigns as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he'll one day return to bring about the new heavens and new earth. And if you trust in him, Mr. Allen, you will be saved. He will be filled with hope. You'll receive the forgiveness of sins. You'll be welcomed into eternity in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something, Mr. Allen. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Christ Jesus has made me his own. So believe in him. So my friends, if you're here today and you've never took that step of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to do so this day. You simply do what we've been talking about in this service today. Turn your life back towards God. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus, that life, eternal life, is found in him, and he gives it to all. Who ask freely and without charge. 
So that's the first point of application. Let's celebrate the fact that there is the good news of Jesus Christ. But here's the second point of application. Let's dedicate our lives to living for Christ. I don't know about you and your, your church background, but I, I know some church backgrounds, they have an opportunity in each service to ask people if they want to come forward and, and rededicate their lives to Christ. And I'm not saying that's a bad practice, but I think that whenever that happens, everybody should get up and everybody should come forward. Because every Sunday, in fact, every single day, we should dedicate our lives to Jesus. The first thing we do when we get up in the morning is to utter our thanks for the life that we've been given this day. And tell Christ, for me this day, to live, is you. And if I die before this day is over, it is nothing but gain. Paul write to, uh, this is actually supposed to be in uh, Colossians chapter 3. I have the wrong reference up here. Uh, Paul would write to the Colossians and say these words, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You see what he's saying here? <laughs> Whatever you do, whether you're in grad school studying chemistry, whether you're retired, whether you're in the, the beginnings of your career, or whether you are, are way into having run that race. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. <laughs> whether it's taking care of your family, whether it's making a meal, whether it's doing laundry, do it all for the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you come to faith in Jesus and you give your life to Christ, everything gets filled with meaning. It takes on a new perspective and a new dynamic. I came across this, this prayer called, Thank God for My Muddy Floor. I, I think I've shared this with some of you before. Sharon Janes wrote this, and I just had to click on it and see what she said. This is what she wrote. She said, one day I was mopping the kitchen floor, and my mood was anything but grateful. <laughs> I grumbled with each push of the mop, complained with each dip in the bucket. Here I am mopping this floor again, and no one even appreciates it. <laughs> I feel like this housework is never finished. Clean today, dirty tomorrow. tomorrow. Why do I even bother? And suddenly, she says, my grumbling turned into a song of praise and gratitude. Here she marks this moment where she was arrested in her thoughts, convicted about what she was doing and saying, and she reorients herself. And listen to how she does it. She says, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of mopping this dirty floor. Thank you for the health and strength to, grab hold, or to hold this mop in my strong hands and to wrap my agile fingers around its handle. Thank you for the sight to see the crumbs, the dirt, and the spilled juice. Thank you for the sense of smell to enjoy the clean, fresh scent of the soap in the bucket. Thank you for the many precious feet that will walk through this room and dirty it all up again. And Lord, thank you for the privilege of having a floor to mop and a family to clean up after. Isn't that beautiful? What is she doing? She's reorienting her life. To live is Christ. And when you live for Christ, every moment can become holy. Whether you're cramming for that exam or whether you're mowing the yard, all can be done for the glory of Christ. Paul says, it is Christ that you are serving. And so, first point of application, let's celebrate the fact that there is good news the good news of Jesus Christ. Second point of application is, let's dedicate our lives to living for Christ. And here's the third one that follows, logically and necessarily. Let's be prepared to die for Christ if necessary. Friends, we've enjoyed unprecedented freedom in our nation, and I cherish it. I don't know what the future holds. 
It can go wonky in any number of ways. Just because we can gather today in freedom doesn't mean the world can get turned upside down really fast, and we can't. And so Paul one day told the Romans that he wanted to visit them, and he's not ashamed of the gospel. Now he's in prison, and it's being put to the test. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Can we say the same thing? I think, my friends, when the gospel of Jesus Christ grabs hold of us, we can. And I want to tell you a story of John G. Patton. Some of you may know him as the missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. And he, he read accounts of, of some of the very first Christians that went to this island that at the time was filled with cannibals. And they were, they were killed. They were eaten. And he would write, Thus were the New Hebrides baptized with the blood of the martyrs. And Christ thereby told the whole Christian world that he claimed these islands as his own. And as he talked to people trying to gather support because he wanted to go and to preach to these man-eating people the glory of Jesus, to invite them to turn from living for themselves and they're thinking of right and wrong and to, to fall at the feet of Jesus and to worship him. Other people were like, you shouldn't do this. This is insane. This is crazy. When Patton was announcing his intentions to serve the New Hebrides as a missionary, an elderly man by the name of Mr. Dixon protested. He says, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. And Mr. Patton responded by saying, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. If you know anything about the story of John Patton, you know that part of the supplies that he took with him was a coffin as he was prepared to die and be eaten for the sake of telling others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And he would later write, I claimed Aniwa. This is one of the islands in the New Hebrides. I claimed Aniwa for Jesus. And by the grace of God, Aniwa now worships at the Savior's feet. Paul says, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Mercy Hill Church, my dear friends, may God grant you the grace to truly say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain.